Laura Thomas has been employed as a dispatcher with the City of Columbus Police Department for 12 years. She's with us to discuss the stress that comes with being a dispatcher and the effects it has on dispatcher mental wellness. You're listening to First Responders Bridge, the podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. And in the studio today, we have Laura Thomas here to talk with us about being a dispatcher. Before we get started, I just want to encourage everybody to go like all our Facebook pages, our Instagram page, and I encourage you to go to our website and become a bridge builder by donating to the bridge so that we can continue doing what we do and take first responders from hurting to healing. That's the biggest way that we can continue to provide this, right? Because all of our retreats are completely free of charge to all of our first responders. So by you and your contributions, that's the way that we can continue to put these on for free for our first responders. So that's that's huge for us. So thank you guys for continuing to support us in that way. But Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to come chat with us in the studio today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So before we get started, just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and your background. Um, I'm 49 years old. I came a dispatcher um, about 12 years ago. I have an 11-year-old daughter. Um, I played soccer growing up my whole life, and I like to play foot golf. Um, and there's a couple courses here in Columbus. Foot golf. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. It, uh, all 18 holes are on the front nine of a golf course. That's awesome. So is it like soccer with a golf ball? It's no. It's <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not it, at all. It's it, like it, golf with a soccer ball. There you go. Okay. All right. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it's really fun. So, Laura, when did you decide that you wanted to become a police dispatcher? Tell us a little bit about that and what led up to that decision. Originally, um, I just took the civil service test to see how I would do, and I did well. Um, Out of 1,400 people, I um, was in the 90 band. There were 93 of us in the 90 band. Oh, wow. So uh, I started the process. Um, Funny enough, when I did my polygraph, I sat down, and they're like, do you run a lot? And I'm like, not really. And they're like, because your heart rate is so low. And it honestly was because (laughs) I didn't care if I got the job or not at that point. Um, So then uh, I went in and sat with someone and did kind of like a ride-along you do with police officers. And about 10 minutes in, I'm like, I totally want this job. I just knew it was for me. And then I was so nervous for my interview. (laughs) I was fine all the way up until then. Um, but our process takes about as long as it does for police or it did back then. So it took like a year and a half, um, from the time that I took the test. And, uh, then I started on Halloween of 2011. That was my first day in training. (laughs) That can be a busy day. It it can. Luckily I wasn't part of the job, but it's just funny now looking back that I started on Halloween, such a job to have on Halloween. <laughs> I know us uh, first responders are uh, very thankful for the job you do and um, the way you keep uh, your emotions in check and probably that low heart rate helps, I would imagine. <laughs> not sure if it's always like that anymore, but yes. <laughs> what are some of your favorite things about the job? Um, so we kind of have two roles. We Part of our day, we call take um, so we take non-emergency calls and 911 calls, and then part of the day we dispatch the officers out to their runs, 
and dispatching is definitely the best part of the job. Um, you interact with the officers and basically you're there to make sure that they go where they need to go and that they make it home safe every night. And that's rewarding and, and means a lot when we're able to make that happen, which luckily for me happens most days. Um, you are our lifeline and, uh, we, we really appreciate the job that you do every day. And, uh, I know there are, um, good days and bad days, like every job. And, uh, I, I like hearing you say that one of your favorite parts is dispatching the officers. And it's, you know, as I sit here and think about that, you often don't know what the officers are experiencing, you know, where you're sending them or where you think you're sending them and they don't know what you're experiencing. Um, and so, uh, with that comes stress. And, uh, can you share a little bit with our listeners about some of the stressors that you experience and, and how you deal with those? It's really hard when you're sending officers to like gun runs and shootings and, these serious things that are going on and, you know, we can't see them. We don't know what they're doing. You know, they, they mark on scene and then it's just silence and the silence is the hardest part. And sometimes it can just be a minute or two, but it seems like forever and you're just waiting for them to say everything's okay. So I think that's definitely one of the biggest stressors. Um, when you have lots of runs pending, you know, summer is always busier than fall and winter. And so, you know, sometimes we have 30, 40 runs pending in the city. And, you know, you're responsible for getting the officers out to all those runs. And we always say one run at a time. But when you're seeing these major events going on, you know, domestics and gun runs, and they're just sitting there waiting for officers, that can be stressful. So I'd say those are probably, you know not being able to see the officers and know that everything's okay all the time is really hard. How do you deal with that stress? Take a lot of deep breaths. <laughs> um, I mean, it, luckily it's, that's not every single run. So you get downtime in between those runs. Um, I work first shift, so that helps some too. Um, I worked five years on second shift and it's a, it's a whole different ball game. Um, you're busy from start to finish, so you don't have as much downtime. So that's that can be more stressful when you're on a second shift. But first shift, you do get some downtime, which is nice. We talk to each other. We're in a little pod, so um, we're able to talk to each other and we check on each other. Good, it's a good thing. Now, Laura, at what part, at what point in your career did you begin seeing yourself struggling with your mental health? Um, and was this one incident or was it more of a cumulative thing over time that you began to notice in yourself? I think, I think dispatching, um, can be more cumulative than sometimes a single event. Mm. We're seeing, we're, we're talking to people on their worst day, um, and talking them through that and trying to deal with all of that and, you know, we don't get a resolution a lot of times for runs that officers go on. You know, every once in a while, you just have to know and you reach out to the officer and they'll let you know. But I would say probably 90, 95 percent of the runs, you have no idea what happens at the end. So um, that can be difficult. 
um, I think, unfortunately, I've had a lot of things happen in my personal life as well, which makes this job even harder. Um, I think in 2017, I had some personal stuff going on, and I realized um, for a little bit I couldn't do the job. I took four weeks off for my mental health and to make sure that the officers were safe. Um, I just didn't feel like I was capable of taking care of them. And so that was, that was a hard time. If you're not healthy, you can't take care of other people. So we appreciate you putting us first, but, um, you know, I, I will share with you that we like it when you put yourself first. Uh, you are the most important person to yourself and you should be. Um, what are some of the things that you did when you felt that way to help get yourself on the healing path? For me, exercise is a big thing. Um, I always feel better when I'm exercising. I can tell a difference in myself. Um, I started going to EAP. Um, I started actually seeing Lisa Calendar at the time. And um, that made a big difference for me, just being able to talk talk it out. You know, I didn't have a lot of officer friends. I, I still don't because it's better for me that way. Um, so there's not a lot of people that understand the job that you do. So um, being able to talk to someone that that has dealt with lots of first responders and things like that um, helps. So talking to Lisa helped a lot. Lisa's a rock star. That's for sure. We had her on a couple weeks ago and just hearing the tips that she has, you know, with working through your mental health and ways that you can, okay, understand why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling right? How am I developing these thoughts? What do I do with this? She is just, she is an absolute rock star. She is. I really like Lisa. She's actually, um, I started seeing someone else at EAP um, a little while later and it just happened to be one day when I was in the office um, and I saw Lisa and she actually told me about the bridge retreat. So that's how I originally found out about it. Um, and I was lucky enough that I took it back to work and I said, I want to go to this. And by happen chance at the time we had enough staffing. So I was really lucky. I got to go in June of 2019 to the retreat. And it, it's amazing. It is a tragic fact that more first responders are dying by suicide than all line-of-duty deaths combined. Hi, I'm Mick Yinger with First Responders Bridge, a nonprofit providing expense-free retreats for first responders and their significant other who are struggling from the things they see on the job every day. Go to firstrespondersbridge.org and help with only $9.11 a month by supporting first responders on their journey from hurting to healing. They need you now more than ever. Now, uh, one of the things that we hear about our retreats or at our retreats, you know, is the dispatchers talk about sending their friends into life and death situations and not getting a conclusion on anything. Right. And like you said before, about 90 to 95 percent of those, there's no conclusion at all. You just kind of left waiting and you said you could reach out to the officer sometimes. But even then, that's a rarity. So does that play a role for you, you know, and. Is that something that you've experienced with your colleagues as well? It is. Um, like I said, I I don't have a lot of officer friends. I think it's helped make my job 
a little bit easier. Um, but I do have some officer friends and, you know, when you're dispatching them and you're sending them into something, a th- you know, a gun run or a shooting or, you know, a, a wanted felon, things like that, you know, you definitely worry about them. Uh, I worry about all the officers, but the few friends I have when I'm sending them into something like that, it's tough. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, so, you know, they're trained well. So you believe in them and trust that they know what they're doing, but it's tough. And another thing I, know, I, I appreciated that you brought up was you were talking about, you know, and I'm not super familiar with all that goes into being a dispatcher and stuff. So I appreciate having somebody on who can actually shed light on it. And you were talking about how a lot of times there's 30 to 40, you know, runs that are throughout the whole city that are waiting pending a night and you just have to sit there and watch them you know, the domestics and things that are just pending. Like, I, we need somebody there. We need somebody there. So that's something that I wouldn't even have thought about, that you just have to sit and watch it, just waiting, waiting, waiting. So I appreciate you sharing something like that because as I'm learning, I'm like, man, there's really, there's there's so much that goes into it, right? Right. I'm, our, when I went through training, it was 31 weeks of training. Wow. So it's, it's, I think it's like seven, they've, they've paired it back now some because we have just call takers and then we have people that are, come in as dispatchers and call takers, but mostly call takers. And so it's much, it's shorter now, but yeah, it's, it's a long process to do what we do. Um, and there's definitely, you have to be a a certain type of person to be a dispatcher. Uh, not everyone can do it. And that shows that unfortunately a lot of people have failed to make it. And so we're very short staffed, um, because of that. That's a that's another unique stressor that um, you've kind of generally touched upon. But in addition to people calling that are in the worst moments of their lives, um, and then you add to that, you might be sending an officer out into something that you don't really get a resolution. You don't know how it turned out. Um, and then you add to that, you might be working a 12 or 14-hour day or 16-hour day that day. And sometimes with really short notice, um, how do you, how do you mentally prepare for that? I think we've been doing it so long, unfortunately, that it's just part of our nature. Um, I mean, I usually sleep nightly, like maybe four hours, five hours, and then usually, um, I have Tuesday, Wednesdays off, so my Monday starts on Thursday. By like Saturday, Sunday, I'm coming home and sleeping for hours after work. And I know you can't catch up on sleep, but it kind of feels like your body can. So, yeah, I mean, I've I've worked over 850 hours of overtime this year already. So, it's yeah, it can be stressful. Uh, you're right. On top of all the other stresses, the amount of work that we have to work, you know, you can come in thinking you're going to work eight hours or 12 hours that turns into 16 hours. Um, and then I think the harder part is then you only have an eight hour turnaround and you have to be back at work. Hmm. And it's, it's that it's the accumulation of those eight hour turnarounds that are the worst. Um, you mentioned earlier that uh, kind of in the pods that you work in, you support one another, you check on each other, um, which I would imagine lends to a healthier work environment. 
Um, can you share that? That's a great insight that I wasn't, I didn't know you did that. I didn't know you checked in with one another. Um, what could we do better in law enforcement to support dispatchers? Wow. Um, that's an interesting question. I've never, I guess I've never really thought about it. Um, Probably better staffing is one. I mean, right. Yes, absolutely. That would make our lives a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, we've lost a lot of people because of the amount of hours they have to work. You're giving up family time, holidays. Um, so better staffing would be helpful. It sounds like those eight hour turnarounds are difficult too. I don't know if there's ever been staffing studies in, um, radio rooms or communication centers about shifts, um, how, what the shifts look like. But, um, you mentioned earlier before we started talking to our listeners here that you often work six days a week. I do. I work a lot of my double days, um, which is our second day off. So yeah, I haven't had my daughter for a little while, so I've just been working yeah. To keep my mind off of that. Um, so. And you've been a really good advocate. You've done some media um, in Columbus that I think has been positive for your profession and law enforcement. Um, and uh, are you optimistic about the job you do? I love the job I do. I really do. Um, some of the other things that go on in the room make it, make it harder. I think the whole workforce in general is in trouble. So we're just not getting the kind of applicants we've got before the numbers, the people. So it, it has made it difficult. I, I, I hope it gets better. I don't, I don't know if that's going to be the case or not, to be honest. Um, when they took out us out from under the police department, that was for a lot of us, a little demoralizing. Um, we feel like we're part of you and I haven't truly experienced it, but I've heard other dispatchers say that they, at least at the beginning felt like officers were being different. Um, so we don't like that part of it. We feel like we're part of the police. Yeah. I think we all feel that way. Laura, how has your mental health journey influenced the way that you handle and interact with, you know, callers and officers on the job as you've grown and as you've moved throughout your career? How has, how has your mental health influenced that? I think that we kind of become numb to things. Um, and sometimes that's the only way you can deal with things. So... Honestly, um, after the bridge retreat and I came back to radio, I just I felt so much more positive. And um, I think back when I sometimes when I'm having a hard day, honestly, I think back to the retreat and think back to things that were said there. Um, 
And it really had a profound impact on me. And that's why I've been willing to share. And I share it with people on radio. Unfortunately, like I said, we don't have a staffing for anyone to go. Hopefully that will happen someday. Um, I think it's it's really important. Um, I love the follow-up retreats. I've been to all but one. I think, yeah, I just, I, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Um, it was moving. I learned a lot. So I look back to that sometimes during hard times. Good. Help me through. Good. Uh, how, I know throughout public safety, we, we often hear and we talk about the stigma of sharing times of difficulty. Um, do you think that exists in communications? I have not felt that. Good. Um, I will share uh, a week and a half ago, I had, I think, what is the worst day for any dispatcher, and it was 6.45 in the morning. I was on a channel that I didn't like. I was working my second day off and sitting there thinking nothing of it, and out of nowhere, an officer came on and said, shots fired, shots fired, officer down, and... Those are the worst words you ever want to hear. And it was scary. The, um, you know, everyone around me pulled together. They got, you know, medics started. They got officer support started. Officer, you know, all kinds of officers from the city going there. Um, but you're just sitting there waiting and not knowing. And EMS isn't there yet. And it seems like forever. It was, my understanding, it was a seven-minute response time. But it honestly felt like forever. And then when they transported the officer, um, they wouldn't give a condition, which is even scarier because if an officer is okay, they always say they're stable. Sure. So, um, and that was the first half hour of a 12 hour day and it was exhausting and, um, it really affected me. The next couple nights I barely slept. I, um, luckily he's going to be okay. Um, I got to meet him and give him a hug, which was amazing. And he seems like an amazing person, but it was really tough that day. And obviously it still affects me. So all we want is for the officers to go home safe. Yep. So that day didn't feel like he did. You did a great job that day. Thanks. Uh, and it sounds like all of you chipped in and uh, worked as a team, which I think is what we all um, try to do any given day, right? Right. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, who would think at 645 <laughs> in the morning, um, you know, that's not normally a really busy time. No. Um, when a when an officer just comes on duty. Um yeah, that can catch you off guard, no doubt. And sometimes when you don't have an opportunity to prepare for something, it's even worse. And then when you don't hear a condition, like you said, um, I've found for me anyway, when my mind has an opportunity to imagine or guess what happens, it's usually worse than it really is. Um, so that that's a good uh, lesson to learn, I think, from that. Um, how does 
when you share your experience with newer dispatchers or people that um, recently have have uh, come into the radio room, how is that received? You know, it's been weird in radio um, because most of the people are coming in as call takers. Um, I recently did coach two people that became dispatchers. So it's, it's interesting watching newer dispatchers come in and going through that learning process. And I think two of them were call takers before. So realizing how difficult the other side is, is interesting for them and they become much better call takers. But I, I think it's hard for people to understand what we do without doing it. So, you know, the best way for them to see it is to hear it. Yeah. And I think it's important to talk about what we experience too. Yeah. I mean that day, you know, multiple people came up to me, gave me hugs, made sure I was okay, gave me a break. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a rough day. And, you know, unfortunately been less than a month since our last officer had been shot. Mm. So it's been rough. And that was the beginning of what you said, a 12 hour day. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear that he's going to be okay and that you were able to interact with him a little bit. Yeah, it was great. I bet that had to make it a little bit better, at least just being able to have that face-to-face, okay, I can see you, you're good, you know? Yes. He gave me a huge hug and said thank you, and yeah. So, Laura, I know a lot of times we, you know, hear through police and fire about we get to talk about the stigma there, but I know a lot of times with dispatch and corrections, a lot of times it's just not talked about. You know, like I said, I, I'm pretty unfamiliar and I'm pretty, pretty ignorant about what goes on with dispatchers, you know, and corrections. So how can colleagues, friends, and, you know, family best support a police dispatcher who may be struggling with mental health issues? Because it's really not talked about a lot. Again, it's talked about a lot with what goes on in law enforcement and fire, but it's, it's really not discussed. It's not talked about with, with your line of work. So how can they best su- support a dispatcher? A lot of times I think people that don't do the job, um, just being there without having to talk about the job, having friends that don't do the job. So you're not always talking about it because in the room, you're always talking about it. I mean, we, we socialize, we talk about other things, but sometimes it's just the distraction of having friends that aren't part of what we do. Um, you know, it does, it can make it difficult sometimes because you're trying to explain something, you know, when you do want to talk about it, you're trying to explain something to them and they just don't quite get it. But sometimes you get a different perspective as well. Um, so I like that part of it. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that I've experienced is just not talking about it. And um, when you're ready, you talk about it with your friends. Um, yeah, I don't, taking walks with you, like being, being outdoors is important. I think just, honestly, just being there. It, it doesn't even have to be anything in particular, but you know, when you do want to talk about it, they can listen. And when you don't, they just are okay with that. And as we begin to wind down, um, 
could you, if there was a brand new first week on dispatcher that walked in, uh, and I know you've done some training, what advice would you give that brand new person that's coming in, that's going to walk through the shoes, the footprints that you've walked through for 12 years? What advice would you give them? Take care of yourself first. I think a lot of us that work in public safety, law enforcement, I think a lot of times we don't do that. We don't take care of ourselves first. We were talking about earlier, and it's so important that you take care of your your physical self, your heart, your mind, and do whatever you need to do to make that happen. You know, I see a counselor almost weekly. Um, I started EMDR um, two weeks ago, so I had my first EMDR, uh, which was amazing and exhausting and <laughs> emotional, but I'm looking forward to continuing it and helping me work through um, some of my traumas. That's awesome. Great advice. We're really fortunate to be joined today by Laura Thomas in studio. If you like what you hear, make sure you follow us on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts. Give us a five-star review and please go to firstrespondersbridge.org and click on the Donate Now button. Become one of our bridge builders and donate whatever amount is comfortable for you. Laura, we really appreciate you coming here today and sharing your story. Uh, we don't have as much of an opportunity to hear from uh, police or fire, dispatchers, communications techs, and the job you do is so important, and we're really appreciative of you talking with us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Laura. And quickly, I'll close this out with our praise of the day. This one's out of Gilbert, Arizona, where a firefighter, Josh Milney, was driving down the street, and he noticed a woman who was having a medical emergency while driving her car. And he realized that she was obviously either going to wreck into somebody else or hit something, he was able to pull his car behind hers and bump into the back of her car and direct her uh, to safety. And then he was able to, you know, treat her and make sure that she got the proper help that she needed. So he clearly saved probably several lives by, by doing what he did. So um, thank you to Officer Milney, who, or to a firefighter Milney, I'm sorry, who did great work there and in, in helping to save that woman's life and probably several other lives too. So, Laura, thank you again so much for talking to us again what dispatchers go through and about what you do and to help shed light on, you know, the dispatcher line of work. So thank you so much. Thank you. Guys, we will see you next time on First Responders Bridge, the podcast. Mm-hmm.